Good evening. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. And, uh, I want to encourage um, Abby and those others that may be concerned for their soul tonight and their standing with God um, to continue to seek the Lord. That there's no other name under heaven whereby men must be saved. It's the name of Jesus Christ. Um, and so if you feel the need to seek the Lord and to pray, um, go to Him tonight. Trust Him. Um, I just want to say how grateful I've been for this week. Um, the Lord has um, really dealt with my heart and uh, I believe answered some of my prayers and has been molding and shaping me, and I'm grateful that God is willing to do that. Um, I've been encouraged by many of you uh, that have shared a word or a testimony. Uh, it has been a blessing, and I'm thankful that God can use uh, brothers and sisters in Christ uh, to speak to your heart and to help you, and I've been helped this week very much. Uh, I have a <clears throat> message on my heart tonight that has uh, weighed heavy on me. I've had this scripture on my heart since I showed up in Bowling Green and have continually kind of dismissed it as inappropriate for the setting. Uh, We try to sometimes think about what's appropriate in the right time, but we know that what God wants is always the most appropriate thing. And so uh, he wouldn't allow me to get it off my heart. Uh, And so here we are. We're going to try to be faithful to what the Lord desires us uh, to speak tonight. Um, I ask for your prayers that it would um, that it would come out exactly as the Lord would desire it to, that it would that, your, that His word would be rightly divided, and uh, that His Son would be exalted, and that His church would be edified or built up for His purposes, uh, and that we would um, just listen to the voice of the Lord tonight. So, uh, pray that He'd have His way this evening. Uh, we're going to be in the Old Testament book of Ruth, the Old Testament. Book of Ruth, and encourage you if you have a copy of God's Word with you tonight to open it up and read along with us. Um, it's not a long book; it's four chapters, and I was extremely tempted to read the whole thing, um, but I'm not going to uh, do that tonight. Uh, we'll read the first chapter and then read a few verses here and there. But it's going to be one of those sermons where. Probably a good idea to just keep your Bibles open on your lap and and follow along with us tonight as God would guide our heart. Uh, If you're not familiar with the book of Ruth, uh, I want to recommend it to your reading. Um, It's worthy of your time and attention and study. Um, It really is a beautiful story, a hard story, and yet a beautiful story of God's uh, redeeming work and God's loving mercy. And encourage you to take some time to read it for yourself most of you, I imagine, many of you know it pretty well. Uh, you've spent time there and understand this narrative, and I hope that God will help us to have um, fresh eyes and a tender heart to receive these truths, um, and that God would impress them in our hearts um, deeply, and um, I, I pray to that end. The title of the message is uh, God's Provision in Affliction, God's Provision in Affliction. And we're going to read the first chapter of Ruth, um, and and then again, Lord willing, we'll we'll read a couple other verses here and there, but um, we're going to start there with the first chapter. Book of Ruth, first chapter, verse 1. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled, 
that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man in Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons, Malon and Kilion. Aphrites, excuse me, Aphrodites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelled there about ten years. And Malon and Kilion died also, both of them. And the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law, that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. Wherefore, she went forth out of the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return into the land of Judah. And Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house, the Lord deal kindly with you, and as ye have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that ye may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and lifted up their voice, and wept. And they said unto her, Surely we will return with thee unto thy people. And Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb, that they may be your husbands? Turn again, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband also tonight, and should also bear sons, would ye tarry for them till they were grown? Would you stay for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. And they lifted up their voice and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, and both, excuse me, Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. And she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law is gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. When she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. So they too went until they came to Bethlehem. And it came to pass when they were to come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them. And they said, Is this Naomi? And she said unto them, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full. And the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call ye me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, which returned out of the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of the barley harvest. Amen. I appreciate your attentiveness as we read 
that lengthy reading tonight. And I'd like to just bow in prayer if you'd bow with me tonight. Heavenly Father, my Lord and my King, my prayer tonight, Lord, is that the truths of your word that you have caused to weigh heavy on my heart, that you would cause them to bear upon the life and the circumstances of those that have gathered here tonight. I'm thankful, Lord, that you're able to speak through your word and through the presence of your spirit to each one. And though we don't know each circumstance and each life here tonight, we know, God, that you know us each intimately and personally, and that you deeply love and care for us. We're thankful most of all this evening, Lord, for the provision of your son, Jesus, that he took our place, that he paid our penalty, and that he is our redeemer. Thank you, Lord. We love you and we praise you and we ask God for your help, for we can do nothing without you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. God's provision in affliction. Uh, The first chapter of Ruth is gut-wrenching. If you weren't able to pick up on it as I read it tonight, go home and read it. It is one of the hardest uh, narratives to read, just thinking about the sorrow and affliction that happened in Naomi's life. Um, it is it is tough. Uh, and yet, it is so real. I personally can't relate with some of the bereavement and loss that she experienced. I imagine there's some here tonight that have experienced loss and bereavement as she has. I think these truths may help us to understand things that have taken place in the past for many of us. Some of us, they may speak to the very situation that we're at in this moment. I don't know all hearts and all lives, uh, but I know the Lord does intimately and personally and can speak to us. Or it may be truths that God stores away in our hearts and minds that He brings back to our thoughts and our mind later in life as we face some affliction that may be in our future. Uh, However He desires to use it, I pray that we would again hear it and receive it. It's a story about family. It's a story about need. It's a story about loss, of bereavement. Uh, It's a story of sadness and love and kindness. It's a story about ordinary people. I, I, I love that. Brad said earlier, I think in one of our services, probably with the kids, that uh, when you read the scripture, at times you can see yourself there, and you can relate, and you can see. And while I can't relate with the sufferings and the, and the affliction of Naomi, um, as I read this story, I see just plain people in a little town that would not have made front page news and the world wouldn't have really cared about. And yet God was using them in a way that they couldn't even see the fullness of. <laughs> They're ordinary people being used by an extraordinary God. That's, that's so much of the message of the Bible. A God that can do exceedingly and abundantly above anything that we think or ask according to the power that works in us. Ordinary, plain, earthen vessels used for the glory of God. It's a story of an extraordinary God that sees us. He sees our afflictions. And He cares for us. And more importantly, He is 
providentially involved in the details of our lives, even when we can't feel him or see him. He's at work. Ruth is a story about those things. And it's one that I love. And uh, I imagine many here love it as well. We must understand a little bit about the circumstances. As I said, this first chapter that we read is difficult. Um, The heading I put is dark days. There's some dark days. The historical context we uh, are um, given in that first verse where it says that the days when the judges ruled. So a little bit of uh, study, and you can actually just look back one verse at that last verse of the book of Judges uh, in chapter 21, verse 25, and it kind of gives a summary statement of what those days were like, the days of the Judges. It says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. They were years marked by violent conflicts, uh, tribal civil wars, lawlessness, and a complete forsaking of the Lord. They were dark, hard times. These are the days that they were in. On top of that, here we're now in Bethlehem, and we find this family, the family of Elimelech. And they're having to deal with a situation that has arisen, and that is that there is a great famine in the land that we're told. And so Elimelech has a decision to make. He has his wife, Naomi, And he has two sons, uh, Malon and Kilion. He's uh, in a place where there's a famine. Clearly, he has a responsibility to take care of his family. Uh, And yet, the decision that he makes is to leave Bethlehem and go to Moab. Now, the reality is, is that in that day, God's provision and God's blessing and God's presence was distinctly linked to the land in which they were in. Bethlehem was in the promised land, the land that God had given unto His people, and it was that land where God would manifest His power and be with His people. And He wanted His people in His land. Moab was a foreign land, back towards the bondage that God had delivered them from. And on many occasions, the Lord through uh, the prophets would tell them to stay away from the Moabites, to don't go there. And so he has, Elimelech, a decision to make, and a difficult one if we're honest, right? A challenging one. And he chooses pragmatism over obedient faith to the Lord. Out of a decision of pragmatism, he packs up his family to move to Moab. There's a couple, I think, revealing words in these first couple of verses because that first verse there where it talks about them moving, it says, they went to sojourn in the country of Moab. The word sojourn means a temporary thing. It means that you're going somewhere for a short amount of time, that you're just visiting or passing through there. And so we see that it was his uh, pragmatic decision to leave the land that God had given them And to go to this place in an attempt to provide for his family. uh, And he was just going to sojourn in the country. And yet at the end of verse 2, it says they continued there. The word there, continued, is much more permanent. What started as a temporary pragmatic decision turned into something much more permanent that was never intended for them to be. Well, the permanence of it was 
huge, right? Uh, Elimelech, we're told, dies. Verse 3, Naomi has lost her husband. And so now they are in this foreign land, Moab, uh, and Elimelech, the head of the family, the provider for the family, has died, and Naomi has left her and her two sons. In verse 4, we're told of a wedding, that her boys took women of Moab, Orpah, Orpa, excuse me, and Ruth, and took them. Uh, they were uh, Moabite women, and they took them as wives in this foreign land. And then the affliction grows deeper, because now Naomi, having lost her husband, is about to lose her sons. And Malon and Kilion died, also both with them. <laughs> and so there's this great heartache. I, I hope that God helps us just for a second to consider just how deep the affliction of Naomi must be. Drawn out of Bethlehem in a foreign land, now her husband is gone and her sons are gone. Uh, ten years have passed. They've been there for a very long time at this point. Uh, and here she is left with her daughter-in-laws in this place. Well, news rises that there is a barley harvest, that there is food that the Lord is providing, that Jehovah is providing in Bethlehem. And the news gets to Naomi that this is going to take place. And so she makes the decision to make the journey back to Bethlehem. And what happens after this, again, is a heartbreaking, heart-gripping moment. She's with her two daughter-in-laws, Orpah and Ruth, and they begin this journey back to Bethlehem. And clearly they had gotten down the path a little ways, but not so far that they could not return. Um, And so they have this uh, conversation, this interchange between Naomi and her daughter-in-laws. And she pleads with them to go back to Moab, to not go with her. And she pleads with them and, and tells them just how impractical it is for them to go with them. They're Moabitesses, right? They are of Moab. Everything that they know that provides comfort, uh, everything that they know that provides a possible future of having a husband, of having a family, of having others to take care of them, all that they've known, all that has made them comfortable was there. And as Naomi thought about this, as she was going to Bethlehem, her heart just yearned for those girls that she loved to return what was known, what was comfortable, and what could provide for them a future. And she pleads with them. And at first they say, no, we're going with you. We're going with you. And she continues to plead with them. Let's just look at that one more time. Verse 11. uh, And Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? She says, "Why, why are you doing this? I cannot give more sons to be your husbands. And if I were to miraculously get a husband and just now have a son, would you wait until they grew to the age where you could take them as husbands? She's saying, This isn't practical. Go back and get yourself a husband and a family that can take care of you. Go. And all this time it talks of them weeping and raising their voices. And you get this picture on this road of Naomi and her bereavement and her loss just weeping with these girls. And as she pleads with them, then there's the decision made. Verse 14, and they lifted up their voice and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. 
And so one of the girls listens and she goes back to Moab. But Ruth clave to her. And Ruth gives this response. It's probably the most familiar part of this whole narrative in Ruth. It's beautiful. But she's at a crossroads, a literal crossroads, right? Moab behind her, Bethlehem in front of her. Everything that she knows, everything that's comfortable, the promise of a future, uh, the provision of a husband, all of that is back in Moab. A pagan worshiping place, but that was her birthplace. She had everything there minus Yahweh. And in Bethlehem, there was no advantage for her there, right? She's a foreigner, she's a woman. She does not have a husband or any provision. And she would be going with someone that was past the twilight years of her life. An old woman that could provide nothing for her. And so she had this crossroads to go back and have everything minus Yahweh, the one true God of Israel. Or to move forward with no sure promise of tomorrow. And yet, the one true God that awaited in Bethlehem. It was a crossroads that she had to choose I don't understand all that went into that moment. All I know is what we read. But Ruth said, entreat me, verse 16, not to leave thee. Don't tell me to leave you. Or to return from following after thee. For whether thou goest, I will go. And where you lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people. And thy God, my God. Where thou diest will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. Oh, (laughs) what a glorious, uh, beautiful statement. And without a doubt, there is a beautiful message of love and loyalty and commitment that we see in the heart of Ruth for her mother-in-law, Naomi. But there's more going on here, isn't there? She's leaving the foreign gods of her nature and of her past. And she is choosing the one true God of Israel. This was a statement not just of love and commitment, but but this was about faith. This was about God. This was about eternity. And it seems a lot like a conversion took place here as she turns from the past and turns towards God. And there's this crossroads moment. That she faces. God calls us to a crossroad moments. I don't want to over-spiritualize, but I think those of us that have been saved by the grace of God have had experience in our life where the Lord called us to a crossroads. To where we had to turn from our sin and the substitute gods that are ours by our nature to turn away from those and to trust in God. And we may not know what that means or the full extent of what it's going to mean to give my life and eternity into the hands of God. And yet, by the working of the Holy Spirit and the grace of God, we turn and we cleave and we run to the Lord. If you're here and you're lost and God draws you to that kind of moment where you got to make a decision, where you got to make a choice, And He is outstretching His arms before you and calling you to Himself. Don't cling on to those substitute gods of our lives. Don't hold on to self. Don't hold on to what is known. Oh, go to the Lord. You'll never regret it. (laughs) 
And so Ruth chose to go, uh, and she said where she went, where, where Naomi went, she would go. And we see at the end of the chapter that that is exactly what she does. And they enter into Bethlehem, and as they see Naomi, those that knew her from the past, question, life had obviously worn on her. She was grieving and bitter and hurting and sad, and the people couldn't even recognize her. Is this Naomi? Is that the one that we know? And she said, call me not Naomi. Naomi meant pleasant. She said, call me Mara. Mara meant bitter. Don't call me pleasant. Call me bitter. For the Almighty hath dealt bitterly with me. Can you just feel for a second the affliction and hurt of her soul? A triple bereavement. Her husband and her sons gone. Here, uh, Orpah had gone back, yet Ruth had cleaved to her, and now she's entering in with no promise for the future and no understanding of what was in tomorrow. And she said, Don't call me pleasant, call me bitter, for the Almighty hath dealt bitterly with me. She was hurting. But I want you to see this. this. Her faith was tested. Her faith was pushed to the limit, right? But she never, she never lost her faith. She was never brought to a place of unbelief. And as you read through that first chapter, what you see over and over again in the words of Naomi is the word Yahweh, the Lord. In verse 6, the Lord had revealed to her of a harvest of barley that was back in Bethlehem. She told the girls and prayed for them that the Lord would be good to them and watch over them. And yes, she says here that, that Yahweh had dealt bitterly with her. And yet she still understands that this world and her times and her life are in the hands of a sovereign and almighty God. Is she happy? Goodness, no. She's broken and hurting. And yet... She still has faith. It's just faith pushed to the limit. (laughs) You know, sometimes I think we're fake. I think I'm fake, right? We're Christians. We know the Lord. Put on a smile. Act like everything's fine. Listen, some days are darker than others. There is pain that we will experience in this fallen and broken world. There is bereavement that will grip our hearts and cause us to wet our beds at night with our tears. And it is hard I think the Lord blesses an honest heart and a sincere heart. And as broken as she was, she never lost faith that everything, even the hard things, were still in the hands of the Lord. Still in the hands of the Almighty. And she goes in and chapter 1 ends with this glimmer of hope on the horizon. (laughs) A barley harvest. Food that God had provided I want to, my last uh, points I want to make today as we've looked at the hurt and the anguish and affliction of Naomi is for us to see the provision of God. Remember the title is the provision of God in affliction. Because up to this point it sounds like God has only dealt bitterly with her. That God wasn't providing, that God wasn't working, that God may have been absent. And sometimes when affliction hits our life we are tempted to make that decision. That God is absent, that God doesn't care, that God doesn't see, that God is not working And yet, that isn't the case at all, right? 
And often it takes many years and a long time for us to look back and realize that God's hand was there the entire time. And God was here and God still saw the affliction of Naomi. I want to see just a few things about the provision of God that was unseen by Naomi. Okay, First of all, uh, the barley harvest itself. (laughs) That was a big deal. God was providing food for His people. It was that very famine that led to them leaving in the first place to go to Moab. And here she is in a foreign land. And word had gotten to her that there was a barley harvest. Now I know in in the age of cell phones and the internet that information gets to you really quickly. But it was a bigger deal back then that she would have heard that God made it possible in some way or some fashion for her to know that back in the land of God, in the land of promise in Bethlehem, God was providing food for His people. This prompted, it was the catalyst for her return to the place of her forefathers, to the place of the Lord. And so God provided a barley harvest. God provided Ruth. <laughs> right? I don't, I'm not trying to say for a second that Ruth could replace her husband and her sons. But what I'm saying is that God provided her love and companionship. Right? <laughs> that in the loss of her loved ones, Ruth claved to her. And Ruth uh, committed herself to her. And with no ability to provide for her or to care or to, to, to have a future for herself, she chose to go with her and to be with her and to support her and to comfort her. God had put Ruth in her life. And so God provided the food that was the catalyst to return them to Bethlehem. And God provided a companion, someone to love and to care for her and to be there for her. And Ruth was all of those things. Then we get to chapter 2. If you'll look down at your Bibles, just verse 2 and 3, it says, And Ruth the Moabitess said unto Naomi, Let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him, whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, Go, my daughter. Okay, so here's the situation. Now they're back in Bethlehem. They still don't have husbands. They don't have men to provide and, and give to them. And so Naomi tells, excuse me, Ruth tells Naomi that she's going to go out and glean from the fields. God had made provision in his law that those that had fields would leave the corners of those fields so that those who were poor and needy could go and glean what was left over from the fields. (laughs) Isn't God good? You know, sometimes we look at the Old Testament and we think of the harshness of God and yet God... God has not changed. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the Christ that is full of grace and truth and mercy and love, that is the perfect image of our God. And even within the law, He had made provision for those that were hurting and those that were poor and those that were in need. And His people were to leave those portions of their field and they weren't to go through a second time and to pick up the scrap. They were to leave it so those that were without could go and glean from the fields. And so, uh, Ruth goes and tells Naomi, I'm going to glean, (laughs) whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, go, my daughter. So she goes out to do just that. And you get this picture of just this plethora of fields, right? (laughs) That was the occupation of the day. There were fields everywhere. And she goes out to a place that she doesn't know, 
a foreign girl in a, in a foreign land for her, in a place where she's never been and doesn't know her way around with all of these fields. And verse 3 says, And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And her hap was to light. Really weird old English there. (laughs) It just so happened is what she's saying. Okay? From Ruth's perspective, there was no reason for the choices that she made. There were fields, she went to a field to glean, and it just so happened that this field belonged to a certain somebody. And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and her hat was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz, who was the kindred of Elimelech. And so the field where she finds herself gleaning to nourish her and to provide for Naomi happened to be happened to be the field of Boaz. And Boaz was a relative to Elimelech, Naomi's uh, husband that she had lost. Okay, he was a relative to her. And so we're going to fast forward a little bit. I can't cover everything. But uh, she goes into the field and she finds favor and grace in the eyes of Boaz. And Boaz takes care of her and protects her and provides for her and feeds her. And make sure that she has an abundance of all that she needs. And she starts to go home and he gives her so much barley. (laughs) Fills her up. Verse 17 of that same chapter. So she gleaned in the field until the even. And beat out out that she had gleaned. And it was about an ephath of barley. It was a lot. And she took it up and went into the city. And her mother-in-law saw that she had gleaned. And she brought forth and gave her that which she reserved after She was sufficed. Okay? So, again, follow me here. She goes to a field by no no choice for her. It just happened to be by her perspective. She went into the field, gleaned in that field. It was the field of Boaz, a kindred uh, kin of Elimelech. She has all that she needs. She finds favor in his sight. She goes now, she brings all of this home to Naomi, who's been at home. She brings all of this back. And can you imagine Naomi's eyes just getting really big? Wow, what a provision that you have brought for us. How, how, how is this happening? And verse 19, And her mother-in-law said unto her, Where hast thou gleaned today? And where wroughtest thou? Blessed be he that did take knowledge of thee. And she showed her mother-in-law with whom she had wrought. And so she comes in, arms full. All of this bountiful provision for them to take of. And she says, wow, who is this that has done this for you? Who has shown you such favor? Bless his name for being so kind. (laughs) And she says, the man's name with whom I wrought today is Boaz. Now, I bet I'm not there. I don't know. But I bet Naomi's eyes got this big. (laughs) Boaz, you say. (laughs) Boaz. I know that name, Boaz. (laughs) And Naomi said unto her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord, who hath not left off his kindness to the living and to the dead. And Naomi said unto her, The man near of kin unto us, one of our next kinsmen. (laughs) And so she brings it home. Naomi's filled with, wow, this is awesome. Who is this? And she says, it's Boaz. And he says, Naomi, 
Boaz is our kindred redeemer. He is the next of kin. He is Elimelech's kin. Now, to us, we're like, okay, what's the big deal, right? (laughs) To them, it was a bigger deal. And I've searched deeply to try to fully understand all of uh, the Leveret law and all of the things in the Old Testament that God had done. I don't fully understand it. You'll have to ask Brother Reynolds or Brother Skinner or something afterwards. I'm still trying to wrap my head all around it. But this idea of the Leveret law and of the kinsman redeemer, basically at the heart of it was, again, a gracious and merciful God that built in within his law a provision that when a family member was left helpless and in need, that the family had a responsibility and a privilege to step in and to take on their rights, to take on their needs, to take on their troubles among themselves. And they had a right and a responsibility as the the kinsman redeemer to deliver them from their need. And to provide for them. And so she goes into this field. She brings home this big harvest. Naomi says, wow, who is it? And says, it's Boaz. He says, oh, her response, blessed be he of the Lord who has not left off his kindness to the living and to the dead. The subject is Boaz there in that sentence, but it could very well just be the Lord. That's what she's getting at. Right? He that, uh, he of the Lord. Who has not left off his kindness. You remember her at the end of chapter chapter 1 with the triple bereavement and saying, My name is no longer pleasant and is bitter. The Lord has dealt harsh with me and afflicted me. And now she is saying, Listen, the Lord has not left his kindness. He is still kind unto us. His provision has not went away from us, but he is still providing And in this moment, she sees the goodness of God and his grace in the midst of difficulty. (laughs) It's a beautiful story. Kinsman, redeemer, the Hebrew word goel means deliverer, rescuer, redeemer. And this man would deliver them from their troubles. (laughs) If you fast forward to chapter 4, chapter 3 is... Uh, talks about a little bit of the courtship, and it's a lot of strange things, again, in Jewish culture. Uh, you can go study it for yourself sometime. Uh, but the Lord made provision, and there was a little bit of a courtship period, and a little bit of talking through the law, and how that all worked, and what would take place, and what they were allowed to do. But at the end of the day, this is what took place. Verse 9 of chapter 4, And Boaz said unto the elders, and unto all the people, Ye are witnesses this day, that I have bought all that was Elimelech's, and all that was Kilion's, and all that was Malon's of the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of Malon, have I purchased to be my wife, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance, that the name of the dead be not cut off from among his brethren, and from the gate of his place ye are witnesses this day. You see, why God established that within his law, not only was merciful and kind to those that were left in need and needed someone to step in and deliver them from the anguish that they were in, But it was also about continuing on the bloodline, continuing on the family name. That was so vitally important to the Jewish heritage and the redemptive plan of God in history. It was about keeping possession of the property and the land that was within the family. 
And so this man amongst the elders and amongst the people said, witness it this day that I am their kinsman redeemer, that I will purchase them, that I will take on their need and their family will continue. (laughs) And so they are married. Verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she was his wife. And when he went in unto her, the Lord gave her conception and she bare a son. You remember when Naomi was trying to convince them to go back and saying, oh, you have a husband back there. You have a a chance for a future. There's nothing before you. And I believe it was out of a well-intentioned heart and a heart of love for them that she pleaded with them to return. Little did she know that she was blind to the provision and love of God that was at work the whole time, even in the midst of the affliction. And here now, Ruth, that said, where you go, I will go. Your God, I will be my God and your people will be my people. And now this beautiful wedding takes place where Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, the kin of Elimelech, takes her as his wife and she conceives and bears a son. (laughs) And the widowed Naomi that had no hope of grandkids, no hope of a continuing line. Now God has provided. And the woman said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, (laughs) that his name may be famous in Israel. And he shall, verse 15, And he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life and a nourisher of thine old age. For thy daughter-in-law which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons hath borne him. (laughs) I think verse 16 is probably my favorite. After you just hurt with Naomi and her affliction. And Naomi took the child and laid it on her bosom and began nursing unto it, became nurse unto it. (laughs) And the woman, excuse me, and the women, her neighbors, gave it a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi, and they called his name Obed. And you see Naomi, who said, Call me Mara. I am bitter. Oh, I don't think there was bitterness as she took that little child. And held her in her arms. <laughs> God had provided for her. Even in the midst of her affliction. <laughs> this the joy that comes with the holding of a child or of a grandchild. When you understand the miracle provision of the Lord in that child. And there she is holding and the women, the neighbors. Saying there is a son born to Naomi. <laughs> I mean, born to Ruth, but as Naomi held her, oh, this was a child given to Naomi the Lord had provided. (laughs) With all of that and how beautiful that would be, still hasn't touched on the big picture of God's divine plan (laughs) of how He was working the whole time. (laughs) So the child's name was Obed. We read on in verse 17, his father is Jesse. The father of David, King David. (laughs) You read of this lineage in the first chapter of the New Testament. (laughs) Fast forward a few hundred years. And Matthew 1 starts with a list of a whole bunch of names that we like to skip over. But it's the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we read of some of those same names. I'm not going to read them all, but in verse 5, and Salmon begat Boaz. 
of Rahab, and Boaz beget Obed of Ruth, and Obed beget Jesse, and Jesse beget David the king, and David beget Solomon, and it continues down to verse 16, and Jacob beget Joseph, the husband of Mary, whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. (laughs) Oh, there's no way... No matter how deep her faith may have been as she held that child and thank God for delivering her out of her afflictions and providing her this grandchild that she could hold. Could she have ever seen how God was providentially working through them that through this child that she never thought was a possibility would come our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. (laughs) The Lord is so good. God's extraordinary plan being carried out through simple, ordinary, hurting people. That's how God works. Through you, me. I know I've been long, but I'll close with this. A few things. Rest assured... That God's provision, though at times unseen, has not ceased. God will provide for His children. Secondly, God is working all things together for good. To them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. That is an easy verse to quote when everything's going the way you want it to go. That is a hard verse to say when you're facing a triple bereavement. And you're not understanding why the hand of God has afflicted you. And yet, we see in this beautiful story of these ordinary women that God was working things together for good. Three, His grace is sufficient for you. For His strength is made perfect in weakness. And when you are at your weakest and most vulnerable and most hurting God can work in you and meet with you and empower you in ways that you could never imagine. But rest assured that His grace is sufficient. It is not always God's will to remove you from the affliction, but God has promised to always be with you and and help you to endure through it. (laughs) Fourthly and lastly, God is not indifferent to our suffering. One of the main arguments from a lot of atheists in the world, they look at the suffering and the hurt and the affliction that are happening around us and say, if God is all-powerful and God is benevolent, then then surely uh, He would not allow these things to go on. Listen, God is not indifferent to suffering. Quite the contrary. God entered into our suffering. He had all the glories of heaven. He was content Within himself, self-sufficient, within the trinity of the Godhead, he had everything that he needed, did nothing from us, and yet he chose in the person of Jesus Christ to throw himself into our suffering. And ultimately, it was through his suffering that we will ultimately, ultimately be delivered from our suffering. It was the suffering of Christ on the cross in our place that we might be delivered from our sin and suffering of this world. (laughs) Praise be unto God.
I don't know the purpose of why I had to preach this tonight. But that's part of the story, right? We don't always know the purposes. We pray for wisdom that in the moment, though we don't see what tomorrow is going to hold, that we would, make, we would make decisions that are biblical and God-honoring and pleasing unto Him. But there are days that we will have to cry out with an honest heart to God and say, Lord, I am broken, I am hurting, and I don't understand. And I believe the Lord understands that. And He will answer the prayers of an honest heart. I'm thankful for the Lord tonight. I'm going to turn it over to Brother Brad and just encourage you to follow the Lord tonight in whatever he would have for you. God bless.